y'all, it's Andrea. Today we find out what Party City masks look like in the future. We discover just how incompetent the security team really is. And special note, this episode is brought to you by the letter P. Stay tuned. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. And I'm Andrea. Sharice, today we are reviewing Season 1, Episode 6. This one is called Lonely Among Us, which I have some thoughts on that title. I actually really like it. This episode was written by Michael Halperin and DC Fontana and directed by Cliff Boole, or Bowl. The star date is 41249.3. Sharice, what are your overall thoughts on this episode? So when I saw this episode, something that's kind of interesting is that here we have, mm, for lack of a better word, I'll call it an electricity virus or maybe, you know, an electricity parasite. And so I I was kind of getting a little bit of a flashback vibe to the naked now, Mm because again, we've got this like contagious agent that's kind of roaming through the crew. But what's different about this is that it's a, it's a sentient entity, right? Like it can think, it can act, and it's not just infecting everyone willy-nilly and dragging the ship to destruction. Instead, it's kind of selectively picking different systems and different people to um, possess in order for it to find out more information. So I thought that was actually kind of an interesting storyline. Yeah, I thought that was really cool too. The the whole part about these other aliens who are just sort of on board the ship to go to to go to um this like conference or whatever they're doing. I thought that was silly and like a very useless like subplot and the costumes mm-hmm. were terrible, but the mm-hmm. overall idea of like passing through this energy field and it somehow kind of hitches a ride on the enterprise and infects one person and then another and then another like in mm-hmm. sequence to try to like it's trying to accomplish some sort of purpose. It's not just the mm-hmm. naked now. It's just spreading just to spread. Mm-hmm. I actually thought that this was um, a pretty good episode because of that reason, where this is the only time, as we had talked about um, last week, this was the only time that Gene Roddenberry allowed for any kind of conflict between the main characters was if one was possessed by some sort of alien force. Um, otherwise, mm-hmm. everybody had to like work together in perfect harmony. But uh, but this was one instance where you know they discussed mutiny, which is a really really big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. Like um, all right, so let me get, let's before we get super into it, let me give us the plot breakdown for those of you who are listening with us. All right, the Enterprise is on route to the planet Parliament, which Picard keeps calling Parliament, which bothers me. (laughs) (laughs) Parliament. So the Enterprise is en route to the planet Parliament with delegates from two warring planets when the ship encounters a strange energy cloud. Worf is hit with this energy when it discharges as the ship passes through the cloud, causing him to become violent. Dr. Crusher sedates Worf and brings him to sickbay, but is also infused with the energy as she examines his body. Crusher begins to act oddly to those around her and goes to the bridge, asking questions about the ship's navigational functions. When she questions Data at one of the science stations, the energy spark between her and the console, leaving her confused as to why she's on the bridge. That's where our episode sort of picks up. So the Sele and the Antikins are these two warring alien species that are en route mm-hmm. to Parliament or Parliament. And mm-hmm. Their costumes and their makeup, I, I mean, I don't want to even say makeup because they're just wearing masks. So I guess costumes. Yeah. They're costumes. so bad. I mean, to me, it's like a throwback to like the original series of just like super cheesy. Like you got a rubber mask and mm-hmm. kind of glued it around your mouth. So when you move your mouth, like it sort of moves the mask. Yeah. Mouth. 
Yeah. It's, it's really bad. So on, on set, the costume designers refer to them as the snakes and the dogs because that's basically- That's exactly what they are. That, I mean, the costumes were, so, so, okay, let's take a step back. So we've got these two delegates, these, these two people from Warring Nations, and they're going to this planet in order to um, ask to be let into the Federation. Right. So that's like the, that's the big idea is they're, they want to become Federation citizens. However, they hate each other. And so there's kind of the subplot of people going, mm, I don't know if they're going to be a good fit. I don't know. Like they, they're right. clearly not about peace and togetherness and whatever else yep. the Federation is supposed to stand for. Um, but you know, maybe there's hope. Okay. So they, they beam onto the ship and we start with the uh, cell mm-hmm. right? Which are the snakes. Yes. We start with the snakes in the beginning. And um, we've got everybody, you know, the, the top officers, Will and Picard and Yar, we've got them in the transporter room as and they show up. they're like ceremonial, like yes. uniform, by the way. Which I love those, right? They're so fancy. They're basically dresses, but they're awesome dresses that even guys look great in. This is different. This is like the opposite of the shorty skirt. This right? is the opposite of the shorty. Because it looks good on everybody. Which we do see in this episode, but I'll get to that later. Yeah. We do does. see that in the episode. But this, these dress robes, like from Harry Potter, that's kind of what I think of them as. They look super nice. <laughs> they like do. on everybody. They do. And you know what? They've got that like gold piping, which is yes. like, you know, very fancy. And you don't see them very much in the entire no. series. No. Like you really it's don't. It's only for fancy it's occasions. It's a treat to see them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. So I'm anyway, sure. so they show up. So so the the Sully show up, and then they start sniffing around, and they're like, "You brought the Antikins here first. How dare you? We're so offended." And then they're like, "Make sure that wherever you put us on the ship, that we're like, you know, upwind of the Antikins." And I was <laughs> I, like, "Wait a minute! There is no wind on a ship. What in the world?" Like, thought the same thing. Where I was like, "Upwind? <laughs> what a bunch of crap that is!" But you know what? Riker is such a diplomatic speaker uh-huh. like I'm sure we can I'm sure we can figure something out that works for you mm-hmm. because I would have been like there is no upwind figure it out there's no wind buddy <laughs> there's no wind but they end up putting them on like completely different decks and then throughout the episode which we probably won't talk about too much because it's a really stupid subplot yeah. throughout the episode they're playing like cat and mouse and trying to kill each other and it's just um it's it's so there's that and then yeah. back to Andrea's point back to your point about the the costumes you know, when I first saw this, when I first saw these glued on masks that the mouths don't even move with, um, I thought maybe it's because it was 1987. Maybe the technology just wasn't there for really good monster makeup. And then in the very next scene, we see Worf on the bridge. And I was like, oh, wait, no, no, they had the technology. Um, no, Worf looks amazing. Like he looks like a legit alien. Like you can't see the, the glue marks on his forehead. So I was like, no, nah, they just didn't, they phoned it in for these aliens. They knew they were just going to be here for an episode. They right. didn't even. I guess, I guess yeah. from a production standpoint, you don't want to invest too too heavily on an alien race that you're never going to see again, right? Well, like, what you do you don't from a yeah, right? Like monetarily, but like as a fan, it's a little bit offensive. And oh, I will it, say that it for totally the rest is. of the series, well, we'll see because I don't remember season one, but um, I don't remember seeing such horrible costumes again. I feel like they they take it to a level at least moving forward where whenever they have an alien, even if it's a one time alien. Yeah. They make them look legit. Like even if they just make their nose ridges big or right, their right. eyebrows like really the big or something subtle. Like the yeah, Bajoran, like, like we see Ensign Roe a lot in later seasons, but we don't actually see the Bajoran people a ton. You know, they, they kind mm-hmm. of sprinkle them here and there, but mm-hmm. they make these minor changes that make them look alien enough that we believe yes. it. Like yeah. rubber masks yes. and like, and, and the Sele who are the snakes are like hissing and you're like, ah. Okay. Yeah, so they're like super snakes. And what happens later on in the season is they start to take 
um, the, the, the monster makeup um, artist, the magician behind all of this starts to take those inspirations from nature yeah. and subtly put them into alien makeup. So the um, Cardassians who we're going to see probably in season six or seven, cause they're mm-hmm. back with the Bajora, they look like snakes. They are like snake people, but they look like people with a snake touch to them. They've got like a bigger yes. neck. They've got like a scaly kind of look. They've got like a green kind of tint to their skin, but they're definitely still like humanoid. And so yeah, um, they do ramp it up, but, but here they, they definitely ramped it down. They just went to party <laughs> city and they were like, what you got? I need six of each of these. Okay. We're going to go with dogs and snakes and we're good. I mean, wow. Yes. So anyways, I, I, I honestly think that the Antikins who are those like dog looking Mm -hmm. aliens, I feel like they did a slightly more creative job on those where they made the back of their heads like huge. And then they had those like crazy eyebrows, which I mean, it didn't look good, No. but I feel like for the Sele, they were like, some guy went to Party City and some guy went to like Party Town. <laughs> and they both, you know, and they both came together and went, what did you find? What did you find? And the Antikin guy was like, well, I found these. We can sort of augment them. And the snake guy was like, oh, I just found snakes. Like, so yeah. we're just going to have to make that work. Anyway. Yeah, they, but anyway, so, yeah. Anyways, so that, that's they, a weird subplot that I think they get better later on in, in the seasons about they, making they subplots that, that, are parallel with the actual plot where you're like, Oh, that kind of makes sense. Right. But not yet. Now it's just two different things that don't match at all that have nothing to do with each other just nope. to have some drama going on. Yeah. It was, it was a very bad subplot. Um, but one that we don't see again, thankfully. So, all right. So as they're on their way to parliament, they pass through this energy field. Um, mm-hmm. and I have a few thoughts on this one. It's a really, really cool concept. I think mm-hmm. they're passing through. They don't really know exactly what it's going to mm-hmm. be. And they're trying to avoid it and it moves to kind yes, of like it's moving, be in their it's path. Moving, it's moving at warp speed, which, right, which is, is amazing because I know because just like a cloud is basically chasing you, which even in today's standards would be like, what the hell? Um, and mm-hmm. I like the special effects a lot on this. Like oh, they, cool. They that energy a, cloud was amazing. Yes, they do such a great job, which is contrasted by the terrible job they did on the Sele and the Antikins. Yeah, yeah, with the mm-hmm. costumes. But the energy field is great. Did you notice that when um, Worf and LaForge are working on the sensor array to like calibrate it or whatever, which is where Worf gets like zapped. Yeah. They're in this room that we never see again. Like I did not mm-hmm. recognize that room at all, which mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. Cause it's like, you guys could have had them in main engineering or some mm-hmm. other like freestanding, you know, permanent sort of set structure, but you mm-hmm. guys built like a little corner of a room for them yeah. to film this. And like, that is super cool. And it looked great. Oh my God. It yeah, I think it's so like cool. this this separate science station room that's just kind mm-hmm. of this ancillary set that they use very rarely. I'm I'm thinking of another episode in season six, I think, where they use that same room, but oh. you pretty much never see that. So that's kind of cool. It's kind of special. And you get this little moment between LaForge and Worf where you find out that Worf is not a senior officer, which totally threw me because I was like, I, I just don't remember se- right. much of season one, as you all know. Right. So I'm like, but he is a senior officer. Spoiler alert. He does become a senior officer. So um, as does Jordy. He's also wearing red too. Which well, is but that just color. means they're in, that just means they're in command that they could be in command training. Like, oh, okay. Training to I, be in yeah, command. I, yeah. I suppose that's true. Cause at this point, LaForge still doesn't really have like a main role. Like he's, a, no. he's a key player, but He's like he's, a, yeah. he's, he's just like an ensign at some point, not an ensign, but he's like, um, he's not an ensign, but he's not, he's not in charge of anything in particular. And neither is Worf. They, they no. both work on the bridge. So they're bridge officers, yes. but they're not senior officers. Yeah. Um, LaForge might be, he, he might be in those conversations, but they don't call Worf into the, into the room to like have special conversations or whatever yet. 
And yeah, so that was cool. kind of like a special little moment because I was like, wait a minute, Worf's a junior. What? What? Like it totally was like, that's yeah. new. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so so Worf gets hit by this energy field, which I think is pretty clearly spelled out early on that we as viewers can see the lightning and all that, mm-hmm. but nobody else can. Right. Which, Except um, for Jordy, a little bit. A little bit, right? He and saw so, a glow, but he didn't see the actual zappy part. Exactly. He did not see the zappy part. So Worf is knocked out. And then when he kind of comes to, he's like violent and thrashy, which I think makes sense as a, as a viewer until he goes to sick bay and Beverly is examining him and she touches his body and gets the zap from him. And mm-hmm. it barely phases her. She's just standing there going, huh? Huh? <laughs> she's like, well, she's getting zapped. This knocked Worf on his ass. Like it knocked yeah. him unconscious and Beverly's yeah. like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. This is, we're all fine. She just turns into this really creepy pod person. Yeah. And I have to say, and I, I mean, I'm going to say this again and again throughout our show. I love when Beverly Crusher does crazy scenes. Mm. I just love her as like a nut job. I think she does such a good job. So when she's possessed, when she, I'm just like, I believe it. I totally believe it. And this was no exception. She was super creepy. Um, you could tell she was out of it and you're like, yeah. what the heck is going on? Yeah. And I think, you know, at the end of the episode, the, the, the electricity parasite does explain it and says like, when I first, you know, when I was first ripped from my home, I was scared and I was afraid. I didn't know what's going on. And then I kind oh, of I got my bearings. That. I missed that. Yeah. He, he it has this, like, he has this big monologue at the end um, where he's like, you know, I was terrified. And then I was like, what's going on? And then I was trying to figure it out. And then I was jumping from place to place to try to learn right. how to communicate with you like primitive beings um, until I finally got, you know, to this situation. And we'll talk about that when we get to right. the end of, of this. Yeah. Okay. So here's, here is um, a thought that I'm having right now. This crew is fairly fresh off of what happened in episode two, which is the naked now. So they should be on pretty high alert for like infectious, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it, floating around the ship. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in episode two, you know, people touch and then they all get this virus or whatever that was, you know, whatever we described that as. And so here you are four episodes later and Worf gets zapped and is mm-hmm. acting strangely, then has memory loss once the electricity leaves him. Mm-hmm. And then Beverly's now acting strangely. And Beverly interacted with Troy, with Wesley, with Jordy, with Data, and with Picard, and none of them raised the alarm at all. They all mm-hmm. recognized that she was acting strangely and they were like, are you all right? Like something weird's kind of going on. She goes, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like really creepy and crazy and weird. Mm-hmm. And nobody raises the alarm. You guys just came from the naked now. How are you not being like uh, touching your comm badge? Like, hey, so maybe we need to just keep Beverly isolated. I always, I always wonder about that. I always wonder about that because Beverly is the chief medical officer on the ship. Mm-hmm. So who do you call when the chief medical officer needs to be like medically quarantined? We don't really see any other... Um, any other medical staff that have names? We do. We no. do have Nurse uh, Onagawa, like way in season. What? Whenever she shows up, I don't yeah, know. She's, she's way um, down So she does end up getting like a nurse helper at some point. But like here, sometimes you just see random people giving hypospray's, but none of them have a name. Like there's, there's who do you call? And it, it's the same thing yeah. that I have with the same issue I have whenever Captain Picard goes Lulu, because it's like who do you call? And that's when they're like, I don't know, mutiny, I guess, because it's kind of like there's no. There's no other person to be like, hey, I'm, I'm concerned about so-and-so. Let's go do something about that. And actually that happens in this episode. And I'm always like, oh, if you're going to infect people, we definitely don't want the chief medical officer to have a medical condition 
Yeah. That she cannot diagnose because she's in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. And for a ship whose complement is like 1,000 and like, yeah. I think they said like They 1, should have more than one doctor. They really mm-hmm. should. They really I'm should. I'm sure they because do. If I were a doctor and I were in charge of 1,000 people, uh, I'd be pretty worried about that. Yeah. And then you get, and then you get possessed by some lightning monster. All right. So nobody raises the alarm on Beverly's strange behavior. Um, but while this is going on, the ship continues to experience shutdowns. You know, at one point it's like just the comm station is shut down and then the science station is shut down. And then, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. slowly it becomes more and more and they make a great point where they go, this ship is less than one year out of the dock. What is, what are the odds that this happening just by circumstance or by coincidence and Mm -hmm. data goes nothing there's no chance Mm -hmm. which you go "Uh uh-oh because now we're sort of seeing kind of the same thing that we saw in the Ferengi episode where the ship is experiencing massive power failures and I think Mm -hmm. that they sort of they really lean heavily on the same kind of like just handful of plots like somebody's Mm -hmm. infected and it's spreading and the ship Mm -hmm. is experiencing massive shutdowns Mm -hmm. right which and someone's gonna die that's always a theme someone's gonna die but in this case the someone is the Antikins and the Sele yeah. <laughs> that we're barely aware of as we're going through this whole, like, what is this, what is this electricity thing? What's going on? Yes. Yes. So this is one of the first times that we see the whole bridge crew kind of meeting in the observation lounge mm-hmm. it's not the first, but it's one of the very early ones. And I mm-hmm. noticed there's this great panning shot that pans from the outside of the ship looking in towards the observation lounge. And I think Picard is like standing at the window kind of looking out and it pans like right into the lounge. And I thought that's really cool. Like this, this show is starting to get its legs underneath it. So, you know, it's starting mm-hmm. to get its sea legs a little bit and it's finding its kind of style. And those panning shots are really lovely. And you hear that like beautiful, like hum of the ship. It's mm-hmm. just, it, it creates this nice little like cozy kind of environment. Like you're in this observation lounge. It's kind of dark. Now we're talking about what's going on with the ship. Why is everything shutting down? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also see, so they talk about um, Chief Engineer Argyle, who only makes mm-hmm. an appearance one time in the previous episode, but mm-hmm. he is mentioned by name, which I'm sure the, the guy who was the actor for Argyle was like, wait, what the hell? Like, you mentioned me, but I never <laughs> an act. Um, Can't I at least be on the comms? Be in the background or something. But yeah, so they, they talk about Chief Engineer Argyle, but we see a new like assistant Chief Engineer, Mr. Singh who I think is really interesting because they hired an actor who is of um, like Indian descent and has an Mm -hmm. Indian, like an Indian English accent, which Mm -hmm. I thought was really cool because they're really kind of showing a little bit of that diversity Um, because everybody else on the show speaks in like a perfect California accent, like with Mm -hmm. no accent. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately, as is what happens, he dies. Yeah. So So Singh was just the new red shirt. That's just what happened. (laughs) Um, However, I, I like that too. And I have to say, as far as diversity goes, like in the original series, we had, um, we did have a little bit of diversity. Most of the people were European and the way that they envisioned diversity was different types of European people, right? That was like diverse. <laughs> right? So we're going to pick people from different parts of Europe. Yes. And, so, and that's true because you don't see that on American sitcoms. Everybody's American. <laughs> you know, there's like one random person from England and England only, right? Yeah. We're not doing Ireland, Scotland. We're not doing all that. We're doing England, right? So <laughs> So technically, yes, the original series did have diversity because it picked different Europeans from Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have Uhura, the one brown-skinned person on the show. Yeah. Now, fast forward to like, this is now 20 years after the original. And let's see how far we've come with diversity. When you look around the bridge staff, 
they're all Europeans and they're all American. <laughs> I mean, they're all not Europeans. They're all um, American. Yeah. They're all like Caucasian American. And that's pretty much it. We have Jordy. So yay. We've got some Brown on the bridge and we also have Worf. But what's interesting is they, they didn't kind of go as far as the original series did with having people with accents, right? Cause a lot of people in the original series had accents and people yeah. in the enterprise just don't like everyone speaks perfect English. Um, for the most part. Yeah, that's why and Mr. So it, Singh, like Mr. Singh stands out so much because, out, yeah. because of that. I kind of wish they would have had a little bit more diverse people on the show throughout the seven years. Like, to my recollection, that's the only um, person of Indian descent that I recall on the yeah, show. And it was know. like on for seven years. And like, yeah, we don't have a ton of Asian people. Uh, I'm not thinking of any. You know, we don't have lots of accents. So, yeah, you're so right. the diversity level, even though it's 20 years in the future, like like literally in our time zone, um, of where the original series was to where right. TNG it's, starts. Yes, yes. It's 20 years since the original series ended. Yeah, in their still, time, it's 78 years since. Yeah, so it's like 100 be, years later. Yeah, and they're, you think they're, they're make- less diverse. <laughs> so I don't well, know. I, I did like, when I first saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't remember there being like an, a person of Indian descent on the show before. And then he dies. And I was like, aw. I know, kind of a bummer. I know. Like I would have liked to he see dies. him like at least last another episode. Yeah, he dies almost immediately. But I think it's I think it's one of those moments, just like in the episode Code of Honor, where Yarina's glove right. like goes flying and then it, it impales that guy and he dies immediately. So they need to show us that this energy field can be deadly and like how mm-hmm. dangerous it really is. Because so mm-hmm. far we just see Worf gets knocked unconscious, but he's overall he's fine. Uh, Beverly's totally fine. Like she gets it and she's like, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think Singh's death had to prove to the audience that like, this is actually dangerous. Yeah. And um, actually now that I think about it, just on that last rant about diversity, we did have another person of, I believe Indian descent in the, no, well, maybe he was Asian. We have to go back. I have to go back and look, but somebody who was non-Caucasian in uh, engineering in the naked now, Remember, he was the guy who pulled out all the isolator chips. Yes, I think he was. And he was of like Asian American or like Filipino descent. I think or something. so, but yeah. unfortunately, he was only in that one episode, um, and then never again do we see do we see him or that that engineer at the time was a woman, the chief yeah. engineer in that episode, and we don't see her again either. So you know, I really we're just going through some transitions in our casting. Yeah, I really wonder why they kept rotating that so much and i wonder if it was just they were trying to find pieces that would fit and like what played well but yeah you're right and and here's the thing as well the casting for the bridge crew you know has several women we have dr crusher who's chief medical mm-hmm. officer so she's in sick bay most of the time but she also can be on the bridge yeah we have deanna troy and we have natasha yar and mm-hmm. majel barrett who was a gene roddenberry's wife basically pulled marina Sirtis aside and said uh, and we're that's not- um, the woman who plays Troy. Yes. So thank you. She she pulled the actress aside who plays Troy and said, we are probably not going to renew you for next season. And that was worrisome because Majel Barrett, who's again, Roddenberry's wife and plays the voice of the computer and plays Deanna Troy's mother Waxana. in later season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Waxana Troy. Uh, she basically said, we have enough women or we have too many women, which I think that's total BS, but whatever. Mm-hmm. This was the 80s. And and the only reason that Deanna Troy's character continued on the show is because Denise Crosby, who plays Yar, quit. And so did Gates McFadden, who plays Dr. Crusher. She also quit in season one. And so that only had Deanna Troy as the sole female on the bridge. And, and her 
position on the enterprise through all seven seasons was basically secured because the two other women left. And then, you know, wow. Yes. Which is, which makes me sad because at no point in any kind of casting have I ever heard, you know what? We have too many, we have too many men here. There's three men and that's too many. You know, it's like, it's, or we have seven men on our cast and two women. That's just way too many men. It's yes. like, oh, two women, too many women. I actually yeah. often see with the women casting is it's like, we, mean, we need more diversity with our women. Let's make sure one is blonde, one's a redhead, and one's a brunette. There we go. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that is, I don't really, but yeah. we could go on that conversation oh all God, day. Yeah. Trust us. Yes. Um, so we're going to move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. So but yeah, they did do some switcheroos with the cast, with the casting going on at this they, point. They sure did. Okay. So Singh dies, unfortunately. So he's gone. Um, just a minor point, we see a shorter uniform at 20 minutes and 46 seconds, like walking by. So mm-hmm. we are still deep in shorter uniform territory in this season. Oh, oh my God, Sharice, this is the first time and sows the seeds for later episodes that we see Data as Sherlock Holmes. What yes, yes. I loved it. I was like, oh, this is so wonderful because Sherlock Holmes does become a little bit of a recurring theme mm-hmm. in the show. I mean... I guess not too much because it only comes up a couple more times over the seven seasons. But every time I get so excited because I'm a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes and a and huge Data. fan of Data. So that combination is just like chocolate and peanut butter. Wonderful. <laughs> that it's, you know what? I love it. And I, I was actually concerned when I saw this episode unfolding as they brought up Sherlock Holmes. I thought, oh, God, you're not going to go to the holodeck and start playing Sherlock Holmes are you like in the that's what I thought too yes that's what I thought too nice that we just see like light touches of it but he's got Mm. he's got the pipe and then later he's got the magnifying glass and for me it's the same thing as the Chinese finger trap in the previous episode like where did you get that from did you just bring it into your (laughs) meeting just replicated it and just brought it together everywhere he went it's not like you have pockets or like cargo pants (laughs) like you can just pull these things you walked into a meeting with a pipe and then later he turned and looked at the lionfish as a marine biologist I went ooh, lionfish cool the lionfish in Captain Picard's ready room, and he looked at it with a magnifying glass, and I went, "Did you? Were you double fisting props? <laughs> like you had a pipe in one hand, a magnifying glass in another? Like where was this coming from?" I I love when Data does something that the rest of the crew finds amusing because you mm-hmm. see them exchanging glances and kind of smiling, and it makes me wonder: were the actors close to breaking? Were they re- mm-hmm. were they acting that? Like, was anything improvised there? Like, I really would love to have somebody on the show who was there or part of that, like, writing staff or part of the cast and crew to let us know because, yeah. you know, sometimes you hear, oh, no, the crew was, like, cracking up. They couldn't get through mm-hmm. that scene. And that just makes it, for me, like, just more enjoyable. Yeah. I'm like, oh, there they are. They're, like, cracking up. We'll but have yeah. to ask Brent Spiner when he's on our show. So uh, yes. that's the guy who plays Data. And I would love to have you on our show, Brent. So if we have you on – when we have you on our show someday – We'll definitely ask you what people's reactions were. Because if you see Brent Spiner in other movies, which he's been in a ton of movies, a ton of shows, done a ton of voice acting. But if you see him in other movies and shows, like he is such a dynamic, vibrant person. And if you see him on panels, um, he's so funny. He's just like hilarious. And he's always yeah, got he people is. cracking up. But he's playing this character who is devoid of humor and emotion and personality pretty much. And so... I, I always love that like juxtaposition, that like little mix of an actor who's like got so much range playing someone who has no range. I find it super fascinating. So that I wonder is, if that too, like. That is really, really funny. I find the same, I find the same thing. So I'm a huge, huge fan of The Office and I mm-hmm. listen to The Office Ladies podcast and Angela Kinsey, who plays Angela Martin on The Office. 
she's she's just like us. She's like very bubbly and like mm-hmm. laughing all the time and just lots of comedy. But on the show, she plays this like super uptight bitch who just mm-hmm. it has no like range other than just frustration and irritation. And right. I think what must that a I think that must be really really fun to play a character who's so opposite to yourself, but mm-hmm. at the same time probably frustrating because to play a straight man is hard. Yeah. <laughs> I would be laughing all the time. I would be pissing off the other actors left and right because I would just be cracking up and then they'd have to reset the scene over and over again. <laughs> like, totally. like You're going to be here all day if Andrea can't get it. To so get I wonder how it. many times that happened on the cast of TNG. Like how many times they were just like, ah, too funny. Like, let's start over. Yeah. I'm curious. Yes. Um, all right. So back to the story. So Troy is actually becoming more and more useful as the season goes on, mm-hmm. which makes me happy to see. Um, so she hypnotizes Dr. Crusher and Worf and figures out what was happening in that memory loss, like kind of lapse that they were experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the device that she uses makes me laugh too. It's like a little, like a little pinwheel, like electronically that spins around. <laughs> but I thought- Yeah, that- when, I, when I saw that scene I, and I put this in my notes, I put, huh, now Troy is a hypnotherapist. Um, okay. <laughs> what? Why does she never use this power later on in the show? <laughs> That's I don't true. Know. But th- That's but this was true. cool though. This was this was cool that all of a sudden now she's a hypnotherapist and she can just hypnotize people and like <laughs> find out their memory. That's super handy. Like that's a very legit like. And you know, honestly, yeah, they really should have pulled those guns out more because mm-hmm. in later seasons there there are lots of times when there's memory loss. Like <laughs> a lot of times with the like get your little gadget out and start like figuring out what's going on. And apparently you're the only person who can do it. So just do it. anyway, so she is useful and she figures out that there is some sort of sentient entity that mm-hmm. is not just like you've been electrocuted and you pass out. Like something is happening. Beverly does a great job, I think, in acting and coming across with the like, get out of my head, get out of my head. You know, when she starts mm-hmm. talking about how like she even though she was acting normally, like internally, there was a mm-hmm. struggle. So she does this great, she does this great job um, of conveying that. And Troy does a great job of sort of figuring that out. So props mm-hmm. to Troy for being useful. Um, so they go talk to Picard, who has meanwhile become infected. And I'm, I'm concerned. So because, unfortunate. Because he is acting so strangely. Like Beverly was acting weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. But Picard is acting weird as hell. Like he is like becoming like a poet and talking too close to people and laughing and wondering what it's all about. It's like this is red alert. Red mm-hmm. alert. Why haven't any why haven't any of you sounded the alarm? And at this point, Troy has already figured out that once you get zapped, you are basically being controlled by an alien being. Mm-hmm. So she says that she could feel this weird like duality in people. And mm-hmm. I wasn't quite sure what that feeling was, but now she recognizes it. And Picard goes, great, let's bookmark that. And then he becomes infected and Troy's like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. It's that same thing of like, who do you turn to when the boss goes bananas? Yeah. And, and that's kind of what happens, right? Is they're like, he's acting weird. They all see him acting weird. They're trying to be respectful. Like, yes, but you're the captain. So, you know, you, you can have your eccentricities, but they're like, "Mm," but he's, he's like telling us to turn around and go back to the energy cloud when we have this super urgent mission to bring these delegates or else they'll who knows what is yeah to parliament otherwise who knows what's going to happen and they've been going at warp 6.5 because they have to hurry up and get there and now he's having them turn around and everyone's looking at each other exchanging glances like "Hmm, this doesn't feel right but no one wants to say anything because there's no boss to go to to be like hey i'm concerned about this and that's when you see them discussing the potential of mutiny because will's the only one they can turn to and beverly's the only one who can call a medical emergency 
right? Which is, which is a big moment, I think, um, in any kind of, you know, mutiny has been a term that everyone basically grew up knowing what it meant, even though we don't experience mutinies per se. Mm-hmm. But mutiny has always been a very critical moment on board any kind of sailing ship or any sort of, you know, even ships today. A mutiny mm-hmm. is really a big deal. And those who are found guilty of attempted mutiny, you bet, if you're going to mutiny, you better do it. Mm-hmm. And, and you better right. be successful. You yeah. better be successful because the penalty is death. Mm-hmm. Even because you, you can't be trusted, clearly. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's mutiny, modern day mutiny is called treason. <laughs> yes. The treason is when you cannot be trusted at all anymore. So we have yeah. to get rid of you. And you still, you still can be executed for that. People still are executed for treason today. So when they're sitting there talking about mutiny, I thought that was a really dramatic moment because I thought, holy cow, this is like how bad things are getting where yeah. the ship is shutting down. You know, the Sully and the Antikins are playing hide and seek in the corridors, which is like so stupid. But besides that, some like really serious stuff is going on. And now obviously the captain has been incapacitated mm-hmm. and putting the crew at further danger because we're going mm-hmm. back to that energy field where we had issues. Like, let's not mm-hmm. go back. So I thought that was really, really, really what I thought was cool going to happen. Yeah, I, I agree. And what I thought was going to happen was I thought they were going to go back to the energy cloud and that like all the other um entities inside the cloud were going to kind of swallow up the ship and infect all the people and like take them over and take over the enterprise and like and i was like oh no don't go back to the cloud don't go back to the cloud they're all going to like take everybody i thought it was going to be a total like pod person moment and i'm actually kind of glad they didn't do that because that would have been really scary and i don't know how they would have gotten out of it but that's also kind of what i like about the later like seasons and what i and you know some of the other shows in the Trek universe is when they get in those positions where you're like, oh, I don't know how they're going to get the heck out of this. There's right. no way out of this. And then somehow, some way, something gets them out and you're like, I never saw that coming. So yeah. anyways, I was like, I thought that was going to happen. I was like, oh my gosh, they're not going to get out of this. And then it didn't happen. And so part of me was like, oh, that's not as like dramatic. But the other part was like kind of relieved because now I don't have to have this internal conflict of like the entire enterprise is infected by electricity people. And like, who will save them? <laughs> yes. And, and I think it's easier to see a solution as a viewer when you have a situation like the naked now where it's a virus and Dr. Crusher just has to figure it out. And you know, yeah. there's 12 mm-hmm. minutes left in the episode. So at some point in the next nine minutes, she's going to figure it out <laughs> and she's going to administer a hypo spray to everyone or whatever. Right. But, yeah. but yeah, but if every single person in, is infected, how the heck do you get out of that? Yeah. That's, that's actually that. Yeah, that's that's anxiety producing. Okay, mm-hmm. so Captain Picard is now, you know, Crusher and Riker and Troy come talk to him and they're they kind of do the like my boss has gone crazy talk where they go, Hey buddy, how you feeling? Yeah. <laughs> they do it, they do an intervention. And that's yes. because Beverly is the only one who can who can legally say that the captain is incapacitated without it being a mutiny. Right. They, yeah. She could just say this is a medical situation where he is no longer fit for duty. Yes. And once he's better, then he can be back in charge. So she yes. can do it. And she tries to do it very gently and she gets shut down hard. She does. She does. And he starts doing the like, what's it all about? I don't have time for this. And orders the bridge crew to go through psychological evaluations, which they do. And then she brings him the results and he just like tosses it on the table like, nah. <laughs> right. And at this point, I'm thinking, okay, Beverly here's your, here's your in right here. Like declare him unfit for duty mm-hmm. and let's get the hell Take out of the ship and keep him moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So he, he totally blows her off 
And then he goes onto the bridge and he starts monologuing and basically spills the beans about how he has been infected, where he says, yes, Picard is here and so right. much more, which he says to Beverly. But right. when he goes out onto the bridge, he's basically speaking for the alien race going, you know, mm-hmm. we've infected one person and another and we still couldn't find the right fit and blah, blah, blah. And he's monologuing for like two and a half minutes and the bridge crew are standing there like a bunch of dum-dums just staring at it. Worf, get your phasers and get mm-hmm. him out of there. Like, mm-hmm. where? I just wrote on my index card, like, where is security in all this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> they're all just, I think they're all just shocked, right? They're just like, but it's our captain, but it's not our captain. But if we hurt him, we'll hurt our captain. But how do we, but is he really still monologuing? Oh my gosh, it's been another two, you know what I mean? I think, yeah, I think like people are just all, in shock, yeah. Yes, well, I just thought you guys are not a very effective bridge crew because if somebody's admitting yeah. that they have been taken over by yeah. some sort of alien race, I'd be like, okay, let's go ahead and get you yeah. into the brig. We're going to do it the American way. Just shoot him. <laughs> just shoot him and ask questions later. Yes, which maybe in search done, of course. You, esc- you escort him to the, bri- to the brig and, and keep him there or keep him locked down in like sick bay. Take away his combat so he can't be like talking to the computer or whatever. Transfer control over to Riker and keep it moving. He ends up touching the comm panel and zapping everybody. And then just like waltzing over somehow, waltzing over to transporter room and beaming himself out into the cloud. Yeah. So I think what was going to happen is they were trying to stop him. And that's when he was like, nope, we're not doing that. And then he touches the comm <laughs> like, you're not stopping me. And I was like, whoa, like I wrote in my notes, wait a minute, he can electrocute everybody on the ship at the same time. Why has he been doing this one person at a time nonsense? Like he could have done this in the beginning, just like zap, zapped everybody, just yeah. zap the whole ship. Jump in the computers, learn everything about the computers, turn the ship around internally. And like, I was like, well, this was, you know, the long way. Um, but yeah, he zapped everybody because, and we know he zapped everybody because when he gets to the transporter room, the transporter guy is laying on the floor zapped. So he just oh, like went right. through the whole, the whole ship's computer, every person, man, I, woman, child, everyone gets zapped. I did and wonder he just, about that. I was like, he just saunters into the transporter yeah. room and the guys on the floor writhing around with like lightning coming out of him. And I'm going, did he send like a forward party to take care of that? Part? Like, why is this <laughs> No, when, he's, when he hit zap, he just, he just hit zap on the max and just zapped everybody through the computer oh. systems. I thought it was just, just everybody in the bridge crew. Okay, I did not get that. All right. And just I'm, went on, went on to the transporters and was like, beam me out. Okay, I, so here's the thing about this beaming scene. Thank you. Let's talk about that. So, so they're saying like, we're going to just beam his energy. We don't need his matter because we are energy beings and we'll just combine with his energy and we're going to have a happy little, you know, energy commune going on in space. Um, (laughs) and then when he gets transported, his body disappears. And I was like, but his body is matter. So I'm not sure this whole, we're beaming his, we're beaming his energy, not his matter. Cause shouldn't his body still be here, but it should be drained of like ATP, right? It should just like have no physical energy inside of the body like right yeah yeah, like no functioning it's just like a shell of a body laying on the transporter but um i guess they didn't think of it that way (laughs) because his body went to space and i'm like but his body can't survive in space oh my god that that he would die that was a sticking point for me hard where i went okay you can't be listen we as viewers (laughs) of the show i know when i start with listen you know it's going to be a rant I'm going to monologue now, Picard. But (laughs) (laughs) so we have to suspend our disbelief in a number of things in order to watch any kind of show. Like Game of Thrones, you have to suspend your disbelief in dead things coming back to life. You know, in Star Trek that there's these, you know, like all these rules, right? But then when you break that rule, there's got to be some sort of television and movie term for like you're breaking the rules that you yourself have like set up. 
Mm-hmm. You can't beam someone out into space. And then the crew, once they recover from their electrical shock, are have scanners like looking for Picard's body in space for minutes at a time. And I'm like, no, no, he well, would have died instantly. They couldn't find his body because they only beamed out energy, is what they're saying. His body wasn't physically that, in a that space. Was, that but was why, very, where did his body go then? Thank you. That for me was very confusing and upsetting. Maybe not upsetting, but it was a little annoying because I was like, listen, yeah, his body is gone. It's out in space somewhere. But Definitely dead. But it's also, you're definitely dead. Definitely but dead. you're also like in the computer. So when, okay, I like that. I think Riker would make a great captain. He, he mm-hmm. can make the hard call. Like he's good at yeah. that. So they, they can't find him. And so Riker makes a tough call to say, set course for parliament. We, you know, we've Let's got go. a timetable. We got to go. Like he's out there somewhere, but he's dead. So we'll right. have a memorial service later or whatever. Like mm-hmm. we got to go. And then that's right. When Troy goes, I can feel him somewhere. Right. But I thought this is a good Troy call. To the rescue Again. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's, she's actually kind of a, a great character in this episode. In this episode, Yeah. Yeah, she is. But Riker makes a tough call, which I like. That's what you have to do as a captain. Like your first duty is to the ship and not to any one individual. And if you're that one individual out in space, that sucks for you. But listen, but you beamed yourself into space. So I mean, it's not, <laughs> you, that you know, yourself, like man. you kind of, you kind of made your bed and now you have to lay in it. So Troy to the rescue of being like, no, no, I can feel him. He's still here. Don't leave just yet. And then Picard yeah. jumps into the ship because they were like, maybe he'll go into the ship because that's what happened before. Yeah. And um, and also Troy does Troy does a whole Troy does a whole like mind meld thing through space of like, oh, the combination didn't work. It was unsuccessful. And now he's just out there alone and he can't do anything and he has to come back. And he'll probably like she just knew everything that was going on all of a sudden. Thank she, you. She's like amped power. up her powers. Yeah, she's amped up her powers from just being like, I feel pain. So much pain. <laughs> to now she's like, knows everything that just she's happened out in space that the sensors don't even know. Yeah. She's so like, like so oh, I've, okay. had, I've had an intergalactic tete-a-tete with this <laughs> nebulous cloud. And I figured out what they, so what they want, what didn't work, what they like to eat. Like, <laughs> she redeemed herself in this one episode. She has crazy superpowers popping up. She she's does. got the psychic thing. She's reading stuff through space. She can hypnotize people. And I mean, <laughs> right. she's super cool in this episode. And then she goes back to being like, I feel a great feeling so, of gratitude. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so, well, whatever. So Picard somehow through television magic, mm-hmm. through Star Trek future magic, has gotten himself into the ship's computer. Mm-hmm. And okay. Here's my thing. If you are, if you now are one with the ship's computer, you could probably access the database, find your own solution, whatever. The thing that he does is he makes the letter P for Picard. My eye roll was so big when I saw that. <laughs> I was like, P for Picard. I mean, I was just like, oh, come on. This, no, no. Like you could. So wait, are you saying that's not what you would do if you were an energy being? <laughs> like an A for Andrea somewhere yeah. on the comp panel. Like, by the way, where there is no space on a comp panel to make letters because they just have buttons, but whatever. Like you, yeah. you, you, made an a, you made a P for Picard. Like you could zap yourself into data Give yeah. him the rundown, and he could That's be like, I "Sure, done. I have figured out how to." What? No, he gives a P for like you couldn't be more annoyingly unhelpful. <laughs> like well, I'm here, I mean, but I can't he tell you. Made how a to different letter. He could have made a C for captain, and then people would have been really thrown. <laughs> so there's that. Well, there was, <laughs> there was the kindergarten. There was the kindergarten detective moment where Riker goes P for Picard. It's like what else would it be? <laughs> like, yeah, thank you, Sesame Street. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, this this show was sponsored by the letter P, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> the 
dying over here with her own stupid jokes. Anyway, so he, <laughs> Sharice, are you okay? <laughs> oh, the letter P. This episode was brought to you by the letter P. Yes. <laughs> well, that's kind of the, the, the like age range that we were operating at. Like a child, a child could have been P for Captain Picard. You know, it's like, you don't need, anyway. Yeah. If, my eye roll was really, really big in that moment. I was like, ugh. The point but, is, they figured out. Yeah, luckily, we've got Captain Picard back. He has that same memory loss, like, what am I doing here? And mm-hmm. then Tasha Yar runs in <clears throat> to the transporter room to talk to Picard going, the Antikins have killed a Sele, or maybe the other way around. It was and, the Antikins that killed a Sele, yeah. Okay, and they... And they're like boiling him for like a stew or something. Yeah, she she comes in and she's like she's like, oh my gosh, we need we need to talk to you right away. And and Will is all like, uh, can't this wait a minute? We just got our captain back. And she's like, but it's an emergency. The Antikins went to the chef and they you know to the cook and asked if they could cook a special animal for them. And it looks just like the Sele delegate. It's like it's like a big snake. And um, one of the delegates is missing. And there's a big uh, pile of blood. There's a big puddle of blood outside of his room. So. Yes. We're worried yeah. about it. And then it's just like, wait, what the what yeah. the heck is going on right now? He <laughs> murdered someone. There's a pile of, there's like a pool of blood. And then he took the dead body to like 10 Ford or whatever and had some chefs that, hey, can you just cook this up for me? Like, what is going on with this subplot right now? This <laughs> yeah. is so graphic and disturbing. And it's just thrown as, as like a side. Like, yes. oh, and Riker way. goes, yes, I know all that, but can't this wait? say hello to the captain. It's like, yeah. we don't have time for that. There is a puddle of blood on our carpet and a snake stew being boiled up. Yeah. I thought, and Riker had ordered both of the delegate groups restricted to their quarters under armed guards. So mm-hmm. what, what did you guys fuck up so bad? Yeah. That now we have to Tasha, this one's on you. delegate. Yeah. This, this one's, one's on, on you, Riker. Tasha. Cause where is your, I, I'm going to put it on Tasha because she's the head of security. So why was security not locking them down in their rooms? Locking down means you turn off the little open the door thing. So they can't open that door. (laughs) That means lock down. That doesn't mean you stand physically outside and every time they come out, you go, excuse me, sir, could you go back in? No. Lockdown means lock it down. It's not off that command code. They can't get out. Yeah. It's not a safe at home order where you're like, you can leave to go to the grocery store and the pharmacy like right now. No, this is a like, you leave and we shoot you. That's right. (laughs) And so- I'm like, Yar, like, what is going on with your security staff that they were able to not just get into a little scuffle, but murder someone and then have him boiled, like have him cooked and eaten. That's like a lot of steps that your security guards are missing here. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Because I could see like a shootout at the OK Corral happening, right? right. Where it's like, and then you come upon the, the incident. Yes. But then to like, dr- let's think about what that requires. Then you would have to like drag the body while security is going... I don't know what to do about this. Right? <laughs> and you, there's just a trail of blood all the way to 10 forward. And uh-huh. then you convinced a chef to put, chop it up and put it into a pot with mm. like herbs and spices and broth and make a freaking stew. Like that, that takes there's a hours. lot going wrong here. That, that takes a lot hours. going wrong. Anyway. And then, and then Picard's response is just like, well, I'm going to take a break. Riker, you're in command. Bye. He's just like, <laughs> now that I'm back and now that my memory's back, I'm not dealing with this. You can no. go ahead and take that. And yeah, I, what I well, as funny as holodeck. that ending was, yeah, I'll be in the holodeck. I'll be chilling because uh, I need I need a rest from my space adventure that I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but so while that was like a corny scene, I was like, at least there was no moral of the story this time, and I really appreciated that. There was no like, well, as long as we know our right place, like there was no after school yes. special ending yes. to it. So I I kind of like that, and I was like, okay, this is I like how well, just like uh, you handle this. Toodles. 
I know that I know you don't like the moral and I don't I'm not a big fan. I don't dislike it as much as you do, but I'm also not a big fan of having like dad give us a lesson at the end of the story because we're not children. But I do think there should have been a moral of that story, which was <laughs> I'm firing all of my security crew <laughs> and we're doing like intense retraining starting tomorrow morning because you guys like messed up big time, like big mm-hmm. time. Anyway, well, I think I think that's our episode. I feel <laughs> I feel like we could go on yeah. forever, but do we need to? It's not the best nope. episode. All right. So Sharice, next week we're getting into a really meaty episode. We are going to break down season one, episode seven, which is justice. And oh my God, is there a lot to talk about? Yes, we have a lot to talk about. So come back for that. Um, In the meantime, I want to hear from you. What do you guys think about the shorty uniform? This was, you know, we're not going to see it too much more. And I just want your thoughts. Do you love it? Do you hate it? Let us know. Send us an email at info at the tngpodcast.com. I'll put that poll up as well. Shorty uniform, yes or no, on our Instagram at the TNG podcast as well. Sharice, as always, I love breaking down these episodes with you. We could just talk endlessly about them. So we're really glad that you guys are here to listen with us and to watch with us. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.